New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. So tonight, I would love to share some thoughts with you about what it looks like to walk in peace. Let me share with you a quick story. As an extrovert who loves a good natter and a cup of tea with friends, I remember a couple of years ago feeling a nudge and feeling a prompt to go on a silent retreat. Now, this wasn't exactly a great experience for me initially. And I really struggled in that place of silence, so I decided to go for a walk. And I remember as I was out in the hills walking, I said, God, if you love me very cheekily, will you just send a person to me just so I can say hello? And sure enough, in his kindness around the corner, a very startled farmer appeared among me and I said, hello, so excitedly, um, much to his surprise. Later on, I tried to get back into the spirit of the day and why God had called me on that silent retreat in the first place. And as I entered into that space and place of prayer, I started to say, God, would you share with me your word? God, would you come and speak with me today? As I walked a little further, all of a sudden, I heard the Lord's voice so clear. And the Lord said this. He said, Amy, take care of your feet. Amy, take care of your feet. Well, initially, I actually burst out laughing because, you see, in the natural, I'm really, really bad at taking care of my feet. I always wear heels and then regret it. I always wear trainers when really I should be wearing walking boots. And as a result, my feet are not fit for purpose. But as I spent more time in the Lord's company that day, clearly what he was saying to me was about taking care of my spiritual feet taking care of what and who I carry. As I walked with him that day, I was reminded of this scripture. The scripture in Isaiah 52 verse 7, which says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Take care of your feet, said the Lord. And I felt as I walked with them that day, he extended that to then say, are you walking out my peace? Are you being my good news, Amy, in the spaces and places that I have taken you to? For me, it was a week of challenge, which nudged and changed a lot of deep habits and behaviours in me, which, praise God, only by his goodness is still evident today. I wonder about you, friends, right there at home. I wonder about us who are here in the studio today. Do you take care of your spiritual feet? What do your feet carry? Do your feet carry the footprints of peace? That good news, those good tidings which proclaim salvation? Or do they carry something quite different? Well, let's look closely at the story of Abigail, which Matt read out for us earlier on. Abigail, this peacemaker, who so boldly and brilliantly walks peace out. And of course, within the story that we've just read together, we see these three central characters found in her story. And these three central characters can teach us so much about what it looks like to be a people of peace. So here we've got Nabal, then we've got David, and then we've got Abigail. So Nabal is who I like to call the provoker in this story. 
But then we've got David, who was the peacemaker, who then became provoked. And then finally, we have Abigail, the peacemaker. Now, if we go back to Nabal, who I'm calling the provoker, we know that he was described as wealthy. We know that he was described as surly. We know that he was described as mean. He was self-focused rather than other-centered. We also know that he had a problem with drink. And in verse 25, it goes as far as to explain that his name even means fool and foolish. And the point about Nabal is that he had no intention of being a person of peace. Verse 10 goes as far on to see him assault and kind of throw out this, this thought of who is this David? It would have been impossible not to have known who David was in those times. And more than that, who David was becoming. Nabal was intentionally provoking. He was causing annoyance and irritation to all. He had no desire to be the peacemaker, but he had every desire to be the provoker. <clears throat> we then have the peacemaker provoked, and let's move our attention to David. David came initially within this story, and he offered peace. In my version of the Bible, it says in verse 6, when he first started to approach Nabal and his household, he said these words, peace be to you, peace to your house and peace to all that you have. You see, his whole army had dwelt and hidden and watched over Nabal's property in those times. And by law and tradition of the day, Nabal was expected to provide that gift to David and his army. And let's remember that previously, there's this backstory of David where he's constantly peaceable. He walked out peace. He demonstrated peace, especially sparing and saving Saul's life. But quickly provoked by Nabal, he turned. Verse 22 sees this pivot point, if you like. And this point where he then goes on to say, may God deal with me ever so severely if I leave one man alive. And he encouraged every man to grab their sword. David allowed Nabal to quite literally get under his skin. He allowed the influence of annoyance and irritation to grow in him. And pride and provoking then started to rise in him also. He was out for revenge. But Abigail calls him back to this place of peace. And in verse 32, you see these words where David said, Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me on this day. And later on, the story concludes when David received from her hand all that she had brought to him. And he said to her, the infamous incredible words that bring it to full closure, go home in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and I respected your person. David was the peacemaker. He was the peacemaker then provoked, but Abigail's actions restored him back to that place of peace again. Go home in peace, is that how he finished? David finally allowed the influence and the spirit of the peace to return to him. Had he not, this would have been disastrous. It would have been disastrous for Abigail's household. But when you think about it, it would have been potentially disastrous for David's ongoing leadership. And not just his ongoing leadership, but the chapter after this, we need to remember records that once again, David finds himself in the familiar position of threat. And once again, he spares and he saves Saul's life. 
I wonder, had Abigail not have intervened, I wonder what would have been the consequences for her people, but what would have been the consequences for David's life and leadership moving forwards? And then, of course, moving, we've got the star of the show, this incredible leader and influencer of Abigail, the peacemaker. And the amazing thing about Abigail was that she knew the reality of living in a provoked environment, yet she never lost her peace. And what's incredible is that even though nothing about her situation was peaceful, she was peaceable. Abigail in this story is described as being beautiful and intelligent. And you truly see this at work as she walks out the presence and as she walks out the culture of peace. Abigail found the ability to step away from her reality and see the wider picture. And as her servant said to her, think it over and see what you can do. Verse 18 records that front-footed Abigail acted quickly. She faces an army of 400, not fully knowing what she would face, but nevertheless boldly going anyway. She's not only walking out peace, but she's leaving the footprints of peace. Abigail's household under threat, she then still sees the bigger picture. Abigail herself under threat, living with a provoker, still sees the bigger picture. Not only did she see the bigger picture for her household, for herself, but she saw the bigger picture of who David was and who David was becoming. And her extreme measures ensured the safety and protection of many things. Her actions are far more influential than any of us can imagine. And because of her, many were saved. And David was quite literally talked back to that place of peace again. Abigail teaches us that if any of us can do anything about making peace, we should do it. I wonder at this point about the situations and the circumstances that are in our lives right now. And we hear the nudge and the knock of heaven. And Jesus saying, think it over. What could you do? How could we act and respond quickly to also be that peacemaker like Abigail? So her intelligence in this matter, but most likely so many other times in her life were truly amazing. And at this point in time, I want to have a little bit of a more of a deeper delve into emotional intelligence and how that helps us to grow to be men and women of peace. Emotional intelligence has a lot to show when it comes to being a people of peace. Abigail had bucket loads, David had some, and Nabal had none. Daniel Goleman, in his book, Emotional Intelligence, he talks about recognition and regulation. And he talks about how, in the key to all of this with the diagram that you see that goes up as well, that there are two components, two um, competent behaviours, if you like, which we need to take hold of if we want to take seriously what it looks like to be a people of peace. And number one, that's about self. And then number two, that's about social. Goldman goes on to talk in his book about recognition of self-awareness, truly understanding ourselves, truly understanding our trigger points, what provokes us, what takes us away from that place of peace. And then how from that place of self-awareness we can move into regulation, ensuring that we have good self-management of good practices, good priorities, good people in our lives that will help us maintain and regulate what it looks like to have emotional intelligence. 
Goldman then goes on to talk about a deeper level of emotional influence, if you like, and emotional um, intelligence. And he goes on to talk about how recognition of social awareness and then regulation of relational management is hugely important. Ultimately, what he's saying there is he's saying that the way that we behave affects the emotions of those around us. Now, hey, this is no new news to all of us that are watching here this evening. But actually, as we take this through this lens, we start to recognise and realise that as God's people of peace, he's charged us with the ability to be atmosphere changers. God wants to do a deep work in you so that he can do a deep work through you, as we were saying last night. But in order for us to truly understand this, our radar for emotional intelligence has to be high, regulating and also responding to what it looks like to be a people that recognise in ourselves and recognise in our social situations how emotionally intelligent God wants us to be. And then from that place, how we regulate that to maintain being a person of peace. I wonder... Which one of these areas do you need to do business with today? Which one of these areas do I need to do business with today? And as we track back to the story of Abigail and we look at these three characters, the provoker, the peacemaker provoked, and then the peacemaker, who do you most identify with? Do you find yourself sitting in that place of identifying with Nabal, the provoker? Do you find yourself right now, is your current reality David, the peacemaker provoked? Or do you find yourself in that space and place of Abigail, the peacemaker? Maybe other provoking questions that would help us relate to this this evening is what are we spotting in our life and in our circumstances that needs to change? And then how are we ensuring that we remain changed as God's children? Who else should we be reaching out to and accepting help from? Who is our Abigail? And how are we being Abigail to those around us? Because ultimately, as we remember these wonderful words found in Isaiah, God wants to be good news to you and God news through you. So how can we be God's people of peace? How can we be walking out his peace? Well, as I look to draw to a close today, I'd like to chat through three traits of what a people of peace looks like. Number one is that peace is their passion. Peace is their passion. Philippians 4 verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and it will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, I believe that God is calling us to work harder to guard our passionate pursuit of peace. If we really want peace to be our passion, we need to put that into practice by praying daily, Holy Spirit, start with me. Holy Spirit, change me. All of us need heart surgery. Remember, we do the beholding and he does the transforming. There is no shortcut to holiness. So these true traits of being a peacemaker is that number one, we need to be a people, that peace is their passion. Martin Luther King said this, he said, if we are to have peace on earth, our loyalties must become ecumenical rather than sectional. Our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class and our nation. 
And this means we must develop a world perspective. God's relentless, passionate pursuit for peace for the whole of mankind should also be our perspective as well. Is peace our passion this evening? And daily, how are we saying, Holy Spirit, start with me. Holy Spirit, change me. A second great treat of a pacemaker is peace is their passion, and then secondly, peace is their practice. Are we out of practice when it comes to being people that seek and know and make peace? Remember that day that God said to me, Amy, take care of your feet. You know, Ephesians, talk, Ephesians 6 talks about the familiar passage of the armour of God. And it talks about the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Feet fitted here, it implies that we need to be in this for the long haul. And the word readiness implies this constant, this vigilant commitment to being a people that walk out peace. And you know, Roman soldiers back in the day, in times of battle, they would have had their their shoes studded with nails or with spikes to help them keep their balance, but also to help them on their climb, their journey and their combat. Our footwear matters in the natural to go far, but spiritually our footwear matters even more. We cannot go far without wearing the footprints of peace, without wearing the footwear of peace. And peacemakers like Abigail and many other women and men are front-footed. And with that front-footedness, there comes that understanding that as they put peace into practice, they are equipped with these spiritual shoes to walk the distance, to talk the distance, and to walk footprints of peace. Where have we become out of practice when it comes to the long-haul journey of continuing in peace? Where have we come out of practice of knowing and recognising that God has a bespoke foot shoe for us that is fitted so that we can continue to do the journey of peace and fitted with the readiness that ensures we always have radar for peace. Unlike David, how can we make sure that our peace isn't rubbed? How can we make sure that our peace isn't stolen? And when quickly provoked, we lose it. How do we keep the shoes? And how do we stay ready for the long haul to be a people of peace? And finally, friends, peace is their pursuit. Ultimately, as we continue to go through this journey this week, it's about the ongoing journey of being peaceable. Romans 14 verse 19 says this. It it calls us to strive for the things that bring peace and the things that build each other up. Let me say that again. We're called to strive for the things that bring peace and the things that build each other up. Therefore, to pursue peace as much as possible, it requires in us a growing gentleness, a growing patience and a growing meekness. As I start to close and shortly invite the bands back up, I want to close by telling you an incredible story that I recently learnt of an old hymn Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. I remember singing this song in primary school. This is a wife and husband team, Jill Jackson Miller and Cy Miller. They collaborated to produce this song that has become this signature composition that was devoted to world peace. But Jill Jackson's story is really interesting. 
she found herself in a very low place of being suicidal. And after a previous marriage breakdown, she was recorded to later say that she wrote this song after discovering what she calls life-saving joy of God's peace and unconditional love. She said, I knew for the first time unconditional love, which God is. You're totally loved. You're totally accepted just the way you are. And in that moment, I was not allowed to die. Something happened to me, which is very difficult to explain. I had an internal moment of truth in which I knew I was loved and in which I knew I was here for a purpose. So in 1955, she wrote the lyrics of Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin With Me. And her husband, Sai wrote the melody. The song was introduced in a Californian retreat to a group of young people who were from a wide variety of religious, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Sai Miller wrote this about the first time he taught that song and they taught that song to these teenagers. One summer evening in 1955, a group of 180 teenagers from all races and religions met together on a mountaintop in California. They locked arms, they formed a circle, and they sang a song of peace. They felt within that song its simple, simple basic sentiment, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me, help to create a climate for world peace and understanding. Well, those same teenagers went to take the song down the mountain and then it rippled out across the world where many sang these infamous words as I invite the band to come and join me. The words say this. It says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. With God, our creator, children all are we. Let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. Let peace begin with me. Let this be the moment now. With every step I take, let this be my solemn vow. To take each moment, to live each moment in peace eternally. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Folks, this is a poignant song. What is Holy Spirit saying? Let it begin with me. If we really want to see peace on earth, if we really want to see the invasion of God's presence echoing and permeating around our world, the simplest, most powerful prayer we can say is let it begin with me. Help us to adopt the traits, God, of being a people that passionately pursue peace, that put that peace into practice and then make peace our ongoing pursuit. So as I start to draw things to a close this evening and hand back over to the band as we continue in worship, I felt as I was praying for this evening that there are some of us out there that are engaging with tonight or may pick up this message later on, that currently your reality is that you are living in a provoked environment. Maybe that's your home, maybe that's your workplace, maybe that's your marriage or another relationship. And you can't see out of it right now, 
your peace feels like it's being attacked from all directions. And as much as you hear the the joy of the story of Abigail, that certainly does not feel like that is your reality. If that's you this evening, let me encourage you that a whole host of us here are praying for you right now. That within your environment that feels so provoked, that God would somehow find a way through his Holy Spirit and through his goodness to call you back to that place of peace and to see your heart and to see your mind transformed. Let's believe and beyond further that environments can change and circumstances can fall as we call out to Jesus. But let's also be a people that are passionately committed to whatever our landscape looks like. We passionately pursue hope and faith. So if living in a provoked environment is your reality right now, I pray peace, the shalom of God, Emmanuel God with you right now. I also felt as I was praying that there are many of us that are hands up identifying with David right now within this story. And that actually we once had that trait of peace. We once were passionately pursuing it, putting into practice, letting that be our pursuit. But it feels like it's been rubbed. And right now we feel more agitated and more anxious than ever. We used to be that David who was always talking in that rhythm of peace. And right now we can't find the words. We can't articulate what it means to be sons and daughters of peace. I pray for you tonight that you would find an Abigail moment, that Holy Spirit would reach into you and speak peace over you that the agitation and the anxiety that you feel would start to diminish and dispel at the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, peace would be returned. So Jesus, we thank you that you are our peace. You're our shalom. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the best example of living, of loving and leading like you. Would you help us, God, to surrender to you this evening and quite simply say in the words of that song, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Amen. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk. 